be back here with you again tonight. I heard there was some complaining about the message this morning that I preached too short. And uh, Brother Brown usually goes a lot longer, I hear. So I hope that you got ahead of the crowds at the restaurants and things like that. And uh, but no, typically 30 minutes, 40 minutes, usually what I what I usually do. But uh, we'll see tonight. I, I, I don't time them. I just preach what I got. And when I'm done, I'm done. And so I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, take your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 16. And if you're able to stand, go ahead and stand. We're going to read verses 11 through 13 together. 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 13. And so you'll join me on verse number 12. And uh, it's getting into the story about David again. Uh, they mentioned something about uh, uh, Jesus did in, in the New Testament about David being a man after God's own heart. And so I started looking into that, and I wanted to look at that tonight. Starting with verse number 11, join me on verse 12. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he, uh, till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and a goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And uh, I want to speak to you on uh, the title, uh, titled it, Chasing God's Heart. Chasing God's Heart. Our Father, tonight we ask your blessings on the preaching of your word. And I pray that you'll bless uh, this church, bless the hearers as they hear and uh, me as, my, as I speak. And Lord, help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And then we're deceiving ourselves if we do that. But would you bless, please, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. You know, what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? You know, when God said that about David, you know, he, he of course knew him. God knows everything. But he, he said he's a man after mine own heart. And uh, what are the qualities? What is it that David would have to do or... Or, or be, or whatever it may be, to, to, for God to say that or think that about us. And that's what I want to uh, do in my life. And I think all of us as Christians, you're the Sunday night crowd. You're the cream of the crop or the core, I guess I could say. And, and uh, you want God to think of you as the uh, uh, man after or a woman after his own heart. And so I think that's what I want to look at tonight. And hopefully we can, uh, we can learn a little bit from David's life and find what we can apply or do in our life so that we can make sure God thinks about us. There was a coach one time that asked his, one of his former players if he he would uh, help him to recruit for his college. And uh, so he brought him in and he sat down. His name was, uh, I had it written down here, but I can't think Shug Jordan. And he was a former linebacker from, for Mike Collin. And uh, uh, the coach said, well, Mike, uh, there's this fellow. He said, what kind of man you looking for? He said, well, there's this fellow that just, uh, uh, you know, you knock him down and he stays down. And uh, the 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 young linebacker said, that's not the man we want, is it, coach? He said, no, that's not the one we want. He said, then there's this fellow that you knock him down, and he gets up, and you knock him down, and he stays down. And uh, Mike said, do, we don't want him either, do we, coach? He said, no, that's not who we want either. Then the coach said, no, but Mike, uh, there's this fellow that you knock him down, and he gets up, you knock him down, and he gets up, and you knock him down again, and he gets up, and you knock him down, and he just keeps getting back up. And Mike said, that's the guy we want, isn't it, coach? And the coach answered, no. 
He said, Mike, I want you to look for the man that keeps knocking him down. And uh, that's, that's what we want to be for the Lord. Someone that's going to always get back up and be what God wants us to be so that he can think that of us, a man or a woman, after God's own heart. Throughout the scripture, though, you know, God has been selecting men. If you've ever noticed it before, that he picks men sometimes that we wouldn't choose. We would overlook. You know, uh, there's, there's certain people, uh, many people know Rick Martin. Uh, well, uh, he was one of the biggest missionaries in the Philippines, you know, and, and I, I heard Rick Martin, Rick Martin, all my, you know, as I was pastor, never seen him a day in my life and never met him. And I was thinking, you know, he's got to be this giant of a guy. Then he came and preached in college one time, and he's slim, he's unopposing. I mean, he just, just doesn't, he's, he's nothing like I imagined, but it's someone that God could take and put his hand on and use. And uh, that's, that's really what it's, what it's talking about. When God chooses people, it's usually not the obvious choices that we would pick. For instance, Moses stuttered. Can you imagine Moses trying to get up before the people and, and, uh, and uh, talk to the people? But I wonder, you know, sometimes someone that stutters, they can sing, and they don't stutter while they sing. Maybe he sang everything he did or something, I don't know. But Timothy had ulcers. Abraham was old. Naomi was a widow. James and John, they, they were called the sons of thunder. They had tempers. Peter shot off his mouth too much. You know, that's, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's always getting himself in trouble, you know. But uh, Jonah ran from God. You know, you think about Jonah. You know, if I was God, I wouldn't have used him. You don't want to, you don't want to do this? Okay, you don't want to be a part of the biggest revival in, in the world? All right, I'll use somebody else. But uh, he, he ran from God, and God got him back, and he preached, and he was even mad that God listened to him. I gave Jonas a title to his message. I, you know, the Bible doesn't put it in there. But, you know, I talked to God, of course, and he told me the message was titled, Turn or Burn. And they decided to turn, you know, and so they, they got saved. Miriam was a bigot and a gossip. Thomas doubted. Martha was a worrywart. These are just not the kind of people that we would think God would choose. We would think God would choose somebody that's, that's smooth and intelligent and, and just, uh, you know, has it all together and stuff. But uh, these are not the kind of people that God chooses. But, you know, in Scripture, God tells us that He chooses people that He wants. And this is the type of people He chooses and he does it deliberately. And he does it very, very often. Like Rick, Rick Martin. Now, you know, that's not, I'm not, you know, putting him off or anything. Like he's not, he's a lot better man than I am. But he's just, you know, if you look at him, he's, he's not someone that you, he's not muscular like I am. He's not good looking like I am and all those things, you know. And uh, used to be, that's, that's gone now. But anyway, uh, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 27, uh, 1 verse 27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And God hath, and the base things of the world and, uh, and the things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know, God chooses those people because He doesn't need their talents. He just needs a voice. And someone like that, God gets all the glory. He doesn't have to worry about somebody. You know, like if I preach a good message or Brother Brown preaches a good message, we go, that was, that was all right. You know, I like that. And, you know, you haven't found that one yet? <laughs> I keep studying. You got many years ago, man. But anyway, God doesn't get all the glory that way. But then someone that says, Lord, I just, I, I, for the 20, 
seven and 28 years I preached at Bethel. When I, when I did what I thought, wow, that was great. I never got one compliment. But when I thought, Lord, I'm sorry I even got up there tonight, I got so many compliments. Maybe they were just being nice to me and encouraging me. I don't know. But God chooses people that we might overlook. And so I got a, I got a long introduction, short message, and so I'll let you know when we get to the message. It'll be about another 30 minutes. So hang on there. We'll be there. But God needed a replacement for Saul. That's where we're at in the, in the story here. And 1 Samuel 16, 1, he said, I will send thee to Jesse, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, Samuel didn't know who it was. He just knew it was one of Jesse's sons. So he goes there, and he immediately thinks it's the oldest boy. His name is Eliab. He's a big, tall guy, and, and uh, he just thought because of his appearance and how big he was that, that this has to be it. He said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But it wasn't the Lord's anointed. It wasn't the one that he chose. Eliab had a temper problem. And uh, that's why God didn't want him. But we find God doing it again, finding a replacement for uh, Saul because uh, he wanted someone else. But he's not picking someone that we think it might be. But why replace Saul? I mean, he, the people liked him. You know, he wasn't all that bad. He had a fair amount of wisdom. He was very popular. Even Samuel liked him. And, and so why replace him? But everybody seemed to like Saul. And everybody was impressed with Saul. Except God. God was not impressed with Saul. Now, what was God's problem with Saul? See, the problem God had with Saul was the fact that whenever it came to making tough decisions... Whenever it came to making hard choices in life or when he knew it was God's will, not that he might wonder, is this God's will, but when he knew it was God's will and he knew what God wanted him to do, he simply didn't do what God wanted him to do. He let fear control him. 1 Samuel 13, if you'll back up just a few pages there, we want to see just a little bit what was going on here, why God uh, did this. And in verse number 8, uh, eight uh, 1 Samuel 13, if you'll go there, and, and the Bible says, uh, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people scatter, uh, were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither the burnt offering unto me, to me and, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Do you think it's a coincidence it just worked out that way? But as soon as he got done, he came and Saul went out to meet him and he, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and thou camest not at the appointed time. It's your fault, Samuel. You didn't show up at the appointed time, and the people were getting scared, and they left. And that the Philistines gathered themselves to Mishmash. And, and he said, Therefore, said I, the Philistines will now come down uh, to me, and, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. You understand, we call David the greatest king that ever sat on the throne of Israel. It should have been Saul. It was supposed to be Saul. He had everything going for him. God gave him his personal counselor, Samuel, to guide him and tell him what God's will was all through the, uh, uh, the reign and, and so forth. But he just got ahead of himself and he got scared and, and he feared what the people would do and he just went out and chose someone else. He said, but now thy kingdom, verse 14, shall not continue. The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. 
He waited seven days to set the set time by Samuel. Samuel didn't show up. I believe God was telling Samuel, just wait, just wait. I'm giving Saul a chance here. And he waited until right when Samuel... See, a king was allowed to be a prophet in a king, or they were allowed to be a priest in a king. But they were not allowed to be a prophet, priest, and king. You remember when God told Saul he was going to be a king, he went and God said, you'll find some men, and he sat down and prophesied with him. So he was a prophet and a king. And Samuel now, Saul, he's entering into a forbidden office, the office of the priest. And so he went in there and he offered the sacrifice himself, and then that's what cost him uh, the, uh, uh, the kingdom here. So when Saul made these hard decisions, he was faced to follow what God wanted him to do, to follow God. God's instructions are follow an easier course of action, an easy route for him to go on. Saul made choices based on fear. Fear of failure. Fear of what his enemies would do. Fear of what his own soldiers would do, abandon him. Saul seemed to fear everyone and everything except God. So when times were tough, Saul focused on everything except pleasing God. That's where we need to be careful. That's where we as Christians, you need to, your choices need to be what God wants, not what we want. And they should need to not be made when we're fearful. So when the flesh is weak, that's what happens. The flesh takes over. And when the flesh is weak, watch your choices. Be careful during those times. When the flesh is weak, watch where you go. Watch what you stay, uh, what you say. Uh, a lot of people they get to the point. I, I, I would tell people all the time. You know, you know when you get angry and you get in the flesh, you need to learn to control that even when you're angry. But a lot of people say, well, you know, the, we, we know we got forgiveness. All we got to do is ask the Lord. But they never go back to the individual they dumped on and ask for forgiveness for that person. You know, they didn't deserve what they got. But God rejected Saul as his king, and he went looking for someone, someone that would be after his own heart. So the problem with most people seeking God is they're looking for God, what he can do for them, instead of what they can do for God. God wants somebody to go after his heart. There was a young boy one time that uh, he had an older brother that was kind of a wealthy guy and he had a nice automobile and he, he went by to see him one day, parked his automobile, went up into an apartment to, to see his brother and, and he was... Uh, I went up and stayed a little while with him. There was this young poor guy that looking at the car and admiring the car and whatnot. And as the guy was leaving, he came down and, and uh, he saw the young boy there. And, and uh, he said, you know, mister, and he was looking at the car and he said, I know, I know. He said, you wish you could have a car like that, don't you? He said, no, I, I wish I could be a brother like you to do things for other people instead of having what you have but doing sharing what you have. So God needed a replacement for Saul. So what would a man or a woman after God's own heart look like? Obviously, it's not going to be someone like Saul. Saul was not the type of man who uh, pleased God. But then David didn't seem all that impressive either. He was just a young boy. 1 Samuel 16, if you if you got your Bibles open there, go back and look at verse number 12 in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, we'll look at verse number 12. The Bible says... Uh, let's see, here we go. And he sent and brought him in. for he, Now he was ruddy and withal of beautiful countenance and goodly to look, look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the, in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose up and, and went to Ramah. Samuel didn't think it was David. He thought it was Eliab. He even said, Is not this the Lord's anointed? 
And he thought it was Eliab. And he, thought, he was excited. Found him right off the bat. And David, uh, God said, no, that's not him. That's not him. So he would turn to Jesse and he said, you got any more children? Because Jesse wasn't even impressed with him. Didn't even think to bring him out of the, out of, from watching the sheep to, to, uh, get, to see if this was the one. So he didn't even go get him. And so Je- Samuel told him, go get Jesse. We're not going to stop here until you get him. And so uh, Je- Jesse wasn't impressed with him. He didn't even bother to bring him out of the fields. He thought David was insignificant, a run to the litter, so to speak. And he was not impressive to powerful men. He was just a teenager. David's older brother wasn't impressed with him. Uh, he, he, when he showed up to it, when he was fight, the army was fighting Samuel, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, the Bible said. See, he had an anger problem. God didn't want him. Goliath wasn't impressed with David either when he showed up. He said, uh, am I a dog? <laughs> you're you're going to send a little boy out here to fight me? And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you the birds of the air. And, uh, but God was uh, impressed with David. That's the thing. He was God's choice. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Bible says here that God seeth not like we do. Look at it. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the Lord looketh on the outward, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, a lot of, a lot of young people will look at that and say, Don't judge me, they're doing wrong, maybe, or even in, uh, adult individuals, so they're doing wrong. They say, Don't judge me, God knows my heart. They're misapplying that. That's not talking about not judging your, your, uh, your actions. Uh, no, that's God's looking at the heart for leadership is what he's talking about. So God's not impressed by how pretty someone is or how handsome they are or what they can do, what their talents are or anything. God is looking at the heart and he wants to see a heart that is submitted to him. He's not impressed by our wealth. He's not impressed by our accomplishments in life. He's not impressed by our college degrees. He's not impressed by by our educational background. God is looking at the heart. So what God looks at is a heart. Let's look at it a little bit more. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong. See, God is looking for someone that is humble enough and doesn't think he's somebody so that they depend on God and it gives God an opportunity to work. He said he wants to look for someone to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. When I was a young boy, I was actually in Tennessee last week and visiting my mother and, and uh, it was the last day we were there and my brother called and said, there's a guy by the name of Donnie Bratcher here. Do you know him? I said, I don't think I do. I've been gone from Tennessee for years and I haven't seen any of my school buddies or anything, but I went to fifth and sixth grade with him. And he remembered me, but I didn't remember him. And my brother called and said, uh, 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 Donnie Bratcher, he wants to come see you. I said, well, okay, drive over. And they came over and saw us. And he, and he showed me a picture of when I was in the seventh grade. I was a small little runt in the second grade. I'm not the massive guy you see today. You know, I was, I was just a small little runt. He gave me a picture. And, uh, and, and, and he said, can you, can you tell who Anthony Hendricks is in this picture? Anthony Hendricks, when he was in the fifth grade, he was about two feet taller than anybody else. I mean, even in the picture, you can pick him out. He's the tallest one in the class. And Anthony Hendricks, he was whipping high school uh, kids when we was in school, and he was just in the fifth and sixth grade. That's how big he was. And, uh, and, and because of that, I made him my best friend. And, and since he was my best friend, he was my, I called him my bodyguard. But that really wasn't good for me because it made me get a mouth when I was in, high, in elementary school. And I'd, I'd get in people's faces and I'd say, Anthony! He would be right there to back me up, you know, so you know, I got myself in a lot of trouble because of that. But God's a bodyguard. 
He's bigger than anyone else. He's looking to show himself strong on behalf of anyone whose heart is perfect toward him. God is saying, give me a reason to show myself strong. Give me, a, give me a reason in your life to, to where I can come and do something and make a difference in your life so that it, it, you can be blessed and you can have the victory in your life. God is looking into our homes, your home, my home, the neighbor's home, looking for someone that will uh, depend on Him, that, that will be committed to His causes and His purposes so that His goals around the world can be, be fulfilled. Just like the Great Commission. You know, it's, not the, it's the great omission, really, and it's not the great option. No, it's the great commission that we're supposed to be fulfilling for the Lord. I like the story I read one time about uh, the... Uh, Three people went to a high school to recruit young people. And, and I don't know why this story doesn't say the Air Force. I apologize for all you Air Force people, but uh, I'm glad it didn't say anything to make you mad. I'm glad it didn't say, you know, one, one Army guy can whip a hundred, you know, Air Force guys because, you know, they, they might have said, well, let's just see about that, you know. And, and uh, so I didn't say anything like that. I'm not foolish. But it was the Army, the uh, Navy, and the uh, Marines that was there. And they had 15 minutes, and they told uh, the, the principal told the three recruits, "says You got 15 minutes. We got a tight schedule. Sir, uh, school's got to start, so each person uh, you get, get five minutes and sit down." Well, the army guy got up there and he got carried away, so he took more, a little bit more than five minutes. And the navy guy got up there and he got carried away, and he took more than his five minutes. And so the uh, the Marine Corps guy, he only had two minutes left. So what's he going to say? What's he going to do? So he walks up there. He stands before the, the, the mic, the pulpit, and he just stares at the crowd for a solid 60 seconds. Just look at them over. You know, you've got to say, I'm, I was Army. Marines have the sharpest uniforms. I mean, they look sharp. And he's, sta- he's standing there, and he said to, to the people after he looked at them over a while, he said, uh, we only want people that will give a total commitment And looking over this crowd, I doubt there's two or three people that could even make it into the Marines. But I want to see those two or three people immediately after the service in the dining hall. The whole crowd showed up at the the Marine Corps side. You know, because I'm one of those two or three. You know, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was saying. God is looking for some people who be totally committed to his cause. You know, they have that saying, once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a Christian, you're always a Christian. But what does it mean for us to have a heart that is totally committed to Him? And this is where the message is three points real quickly. Three things I want to examine that deals with our heart so that God can see. Number one, if we're going to be a people after God's own heart, our lives need to be built around Him. If you study the Bible, David, God said it about David, and if you study the Bible and read the Psalms and, and whatnot, you can tell that David loved the Lord. I mean, he loved the Lord. Psalm 122.1, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David loved going to church. I mean, he loved going to church. And uh, he said, I, I was glad. He, said, he didn't say, I was glad when they said, let's go to Six Flags. I was glad when they said, let's go to Disneyland. He said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. David loved being where God was. And if you love God, and obviously you're here, you're going to be here. 
Now, I understand there's people that get sick. There's something going around. People can't be here all the time. But if you love God, you're going to be here. You want to be in God's house and you want to be around God. People that have a heart for God, they want to be with God. They want to worship Him. They want to live uh, so that their lives honor Him. They want to sing praises to Him. They want to tell of His wonderful acts. And they, they want to bring glory to His name. A person that's after God's heart, that's what he wants. He wants to please God. And that person won't miss church except for being physically unable. It's about what you want. Do you want to be after God? You see it in life. I was talking to this man here earlier. He was wanting to be a colonel, full bird colonel. That's what he wanted. He, he, he was trying his best. But they was doing the downsizing during that time and he knew he wasn't going to get it. We do it in life, we do it in business, we do it in a choice of friends. It's, it's, it's what we want. So someone after God's heart wants to build their lives around God. Number two, someone that has a heart for God or after God's heart, we need to build our lives around His Word, the Bible. Someone that has that kind of a heart. They're going to want to be here to be around God, but they're going to want to build their lives around this book right here. It's His Word. And they want to build their lives. David loved the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, he said, That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 113, he said, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Psalm 119, 124, teach me thy word. David was someone, David was almost fanatical about the Word of God. He was, I mean, he, he loved it and he wanted it in his life and he meditated upon it day and night. He wrote songs about the Word of God. When he needed counsel, he looked to the Word of God. When he needed encouragement, he looked to the Word of God. When he was troubled, he ran to the Word of God. When his enemies were great and attacking him, he, he looked to the Word of God. And so if we're going to be people after God's own heart, the Bible must be a passion in our lives. D.L. Moody said, The Bible is not given to you for information. It was given for your transformation. Transformation. You must take His Word into your heart. Back in the 1968s, uh, when the U.S. Pueblo, I think it was, uh, Navy ship was, uh, intelligence ship was captured by North Korea. And it was a week before the Tet Offensive uh, in Vietnam. And the sailors were held prisoner for nearly a year. To help them through their captivity, what they did is they they called it the Pueblo Bible. What they did is all the prisoners got together and they they said, all right, what verses do you know? Can you remember? And they'd they'd write down the reference and they'd write down the verse. And and everyone participated in that and they got that together. And they compiled what was called the Pueblo Bible, all the verses they could remember. You know, if you had to do that, you know, how many verses could you write? How many verses could you give? See, the Bible, if the Bible was taken from you, would you miss it? Would you miss it? Nobody's going to take my Bible. I I know, but still, you know what I'm saying. How much would it be, how much would you be able to recall? How much would you be able to just think of? The Bible says that in Hebrews 4.12 that it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, this book has power. That's why the world hates it so much. Has power, and uh, the uh, the drunkards have been made sober because of it. Liars have been made honest because of it. Hypocrites have been turned honest because of it as well. The Bible stands alone as the only book that can change lives. It changed yours. It changed mine. It changed Saul into Paul, a defender of the faith. 
Luther into the leader of the Reformation, Billy Sunday from a professional baseball player to a preacher and evangelist, changed Sam Jones from an alcoholic into an evangelist and half a million souls were saved, George Mueller from a thief into a great prayer warrior for orphans, Charles Finney from a lawyer to an evangelist, and John Newton from a slave trader to a songwriter. Is his book that has power. Its message changes destinies. The Bible bothers people because it, it has so much power and it, it gets under their skin, it gets under their nerves, and, and it bothers people because it changes people's lives. There was a missionary one time sitting in his home and the native came running up and, and said, Oh, oh uh, Pastor, I don't know what I'm going to do. The dog ate part of my Bible. I, I'm so worried about my dog. What am I going to do now? And the missionary was thinking, you know, he's thinking it's going to hurt him. It's going to, you know, he's going to die because of it. He said, Don't worry. He's going to be all right. He just ate a little bit of it. He'll be all right. He said, No. He said, He, he won't hunt anymore. I just know he won't hunt anymore. He said, Oh, yes, he'll be okay. Don't worry about it. He said, Preacher, you don't understand. He said, uh, Because when that book got inside me, it changed me. It made me love my enemies. Now he was afraid it wouldn't hunt anymore. See, our lives will be built around him if we're a people after God's own heart. Our lives are going to be built around the Bible if we're going to be a people after God's own heart. And then number three, if we're going to be a people after God's own heart, we're going to have to build our lives around God's people. God's people. In Mark twelve thirty, the Bible says someone asking God, which is the greatest commandment of all? You know the, the verse. In verse. He said, Love the Lord, Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. He didn't say part of your soul and part of your mind, part of your strength. He said all of your strength. God says, I want you to put your intellect into it. I want you to put your strength into it. He's saying, I want you to put your all into it. He was saying, though, that man said, which is the greatest one. He, he wasn't saying which was the first one. Because the first one was, uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. But he was probably thinking of the, of the Ten Commandments or something like that. So this first commandment, this greatest commandment, is even greater than the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy strength. Because if you love God that much, you're not going to break the Ten Commandments. You won't steal if you love God. And you won't uh, covet your neighbor's wife if you love God. And, and you won't uh, have graven images if you love God. And you won't take His name in vain if you love God. And you will, you'll honor Him if you love Him. And you won't commit adultery. And you won't kill and steal or bear false witness if you love God. That's why he's saying it's the greatest commandment of all. And whenever God mentions in the New Testament the greatest commandment, he always, every time, mentions, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying put the same intensity into that second commandment as you do into the first commandment. Just as much as you love God with all your heart, love your neighbor that much. With all your strength, and for God, love your neighbor that much with that much strength. You see, the heart, he's saying, don't be hypocritical or divided. Be, be of one mind. He says, put your intellectual nature into it, your strength into it. It commands the intensity of our, infection, uh, uh, of our affection. And he said, the second is like it unto it, demanding the same affection on the second one as you do the first one. See, the second one is just an extension of the first one. Loving God with all your heart. And he said in verse 31, there's none other greater commandments. And he said, all the law hang on these. So in other words, you can take all the law and hang it on right on those two verses right there, and everything's taken care of, because that's what God wants. See, he said, notice all thine heart. He wants your heart involved in loving him. Not just part of it, 
but all of it. Verse 39, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, that's the Bible in a nutshell. That's a, that's a, a pocket Bible. You can carry it anywhere. So simple, a, a child can understand it and so brief that you, you, you'll remember it. You won't, won't be difficult. You won't forget it. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor with all your heart. It's amazing how sometimes Christians, we get mad at each other in church and we don't let things go. I've said for years, everybody thinks it's a good thing to forgive someone until they have something themselves to forgive. They think they're the exception. They want to hold on to it. They want to harbor it. And they do so much harm to themselves and to the Lord. You see, if I'm going to love God with all my heart, I need to learn to love others the way God loves them. The way God loves them. See, David understood this. That's why when he was urged to kill King Saul, even his men, when they caught him sleeping that time, said, kill him. They, they wanted to go home. They, were, they, were, they wasn't able to go home. They wanted to go home and be with their families. They said, kill him. He said, no, I'm not touching the Lord's anointed. I'm not touching him. Let God deal with him. God can take him out. He doesn't need my help. And he said, who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and not be guiltless? He's talking about Saul. Well, who is the Lord's anointed? Well, obviously, this man would be the Lord's anointed right here. I'd be very careful about saying something about him or doing something to him because he's the Lord's anointed. Well, even this man would be the Lord's anointed. We're all the Lord's anointed. We need to be careful what we say to each other and what we do to each other. Bear in mind, Saul was not an admirable man. He was rejected by God. He had disobeyed God and lost his kingdom. But David still refused to touch him. He was even told he's the next one. He was even anointed. He knew it was coming. He could have very easily said, the Lord placed him right in my hands to take care of him. But he said, no, that's the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. Let God take him out if he wants to. I wonder how many of us here, you know, sometimes we think we're so clean and we know we're not. But people don't know things about us. But I wonder how many of us here, if someone looked hard enough into our lives, would have something that they could accuse us and embarrass us of. We're not that much different from Saul. He's just a human being like the rest of us. I've been in churches where Christians failed to understand this. They sit in their pews. They sit in their pews. Let me go over here to this guy over here. They sit in their pews and they talk about people. You know that David Brown over there? I don't look back there. I don't want him to know we're talking about him. I won't tell you what he did this week. I'll be touching the Lord's anointed. You better be careful. I picked David because that's the only one I knew the name of friend here looking out there. <laughs> and I'm smart enough not to choose his wife, but she's not in here anyway, but... See, it's a sin to sit down and talk like I was doing there, illustrating it out. But we're all guilty of it. Guilty of it. That's not the behavior of a man or a woman after God's own heart. So a man or a woman after God's own heart, they've committed themselves to building their lives around God, building their lives around His Word, and building their lives around God's people. None of us are perfect. None of us are. 
Well, I've made so many mistakes pastoring, using the illustration, I, I shouldn't have. As soon as it was started, you know, now you're in the middle of it, you've got to finish it out. And as soon as I, I did, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that. I'm just a human being, too. But luckily, people loved me, and they overlooked it, especially when I was young. But I want to be someone after God's own heart. I'm going to have to build my life around this book right here. You can't neglect it if you want God to think that of you. You can't neglect the church. That's where He wants us to be, around Him. And you can't neglect each other. See, people think, well, I could worship God at home. That's, that's what I hated about live stream. It was good during COVID, but it got people wanting to stay home. Yes. But you know, they say, you know, they say well, well I, I, can, I, can, I can worship at home. But you know, in, in the book of Acts where it talks about they continued daily in the fellowship. Fellowship. You can't fellowship by live stream. Because it's only one way. My wife live streams with her brothers every, every Monday night. All of her brothers, she's the only girl, they'll, they'll get on live stream and they'll spend about 45 minutes all talking to each other being, you know, so they can stay close. But like this, you can't fellowship. And you need that fellowship just as much as you need the preaching. Now, I'm thankful they get online they watch and get the preaching. But you're like that live coal that was set aside. You may not know it, but you're getting cold. I don't know about you, but I want to be someone after God's own heart. I want Him to think that of me. So that He will use me in spite of myself. Our Father, we ask You blessings on the invitation tonight. and Lord, I pray that You'll speak to hearts. Lord, I think the people that's here tonight, they want to be someone like that. And Lord, we all, we're all guilty talking about someone else. We're all guilty about, you know, sometimes neglecting church or neglecting uh, reading our Bible or whatnot. We're all guilty of that. But Lord, help us to build that relationship with You. To want to be close to You. I want to be so close to You that, so that if I have a problem, I can run to You and, and tell You the problem without first having to confess a sin or confess what I've done wrong and going through all of that. It might be too late then. I want to be able to run to you and, and you'd be, you be so upset that our fellowship is interrupted by a problem that you'll take care of it so that we can get back to close fellowship. Lord, bless your people tonight. They've been working hard. and It's tough down here sometimes. But help us to keep you first in our lives. Help us to keep the Bible first and help us to love each other. And we can be someone after your heart. Bless the invitation, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's